This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Uh, today is our last day that we're going to spend in Philippians 127. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And we, uh, I want to say that we got stuck here, but we didn't get stuck. We stayed here on purpose. And so we've been visiting for a while in Philippians 127. Let's say it that way. Uh, this is week four in just this one verse. So grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians 127. Next week, we kick off our uh, Christmas mini-series entitled Hope for the Holidays. Uh, and so I hope you'll uh, be a part of that. Uh, I believe if there's one thing that our world could use right now, it's a little bit of hope and encouragement. We're going to do that. Take a look at the gospel story, in fi- or the Christmas story, rather, which is the gospel story that tells us uh, where we can find hope. And so we'll be taking a look at that for the next three weeks. And so I'd encourage you to be a part of that. Also, uh, our ushers have today for you our Christmas Eve invites. If you didn't get one of those on your way in, grab some of those. Uh, they got packs of five on your way out here today. Get those out to, to folks this week. I want to encourage you to be a part of our Christmas Eve services, uh, Christmas Eve on uh, Christmas Eve at 5 and 6 p.m. So we have two separate services. Again, we're going to try to space everybody out. I would highly recommend you to pre-register for the service that you want to be a part of. Again, uh, this just helps us with spacing and things like that. If we have to put people out in the atrium or people in an overflow room, we'll do that if we have to, uh, to get everybody together. But if you could pre-register for us, that would help out a whole bunch. And so uh, 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. Somebody had a wise comment, and I say wise from a smart aleck perspective. They said, service on Christmas Eve at five and six. Pastor must not be preaching if the service is only one hour. Isn't that terrible that somebody would say that about your pastor? Uh, Anyways, we'll keep it short that night. The idea is we're shooting for about a 45-minute service just so we can have about 15 minutes of turnover between those two services. And so uh, I'd encourage you to be a part of that. Invite a friend to come with you. Uh, We'll have some Christmas music that will be awesome. Uh, We will have a a brief message of the gospel, uh, which will be helpful and encouraging, uh, and then we'll split. And so I'd encourage you to be a part of a Christmas Eve celebration coming up 26 days from today. How about that? Christmas Eve, 26 days from today. So uh, plan on being a part of that. It's going to be awesome. Grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians 1.27. If you're not already there, Philippians 1.27. Continue our series entitled uh, Magnify Jesus. If you missed any of the messages so far, get caught up on our website. If you've got the Hui Kala app, you can actually click on podcast, click on today's message, click on the button that says fill in notes. That'll open up a browser where you can type your notes in your phone if you want to do it that way. Uh, you can download a PDF to your device if you want to do that. Or if you just want to grab a sheet of paper and jot some thoughts down, whatever you do, take good notes because there's some helpful stuff here this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, only let your conversation, the way that you live your life is what that word conversation means, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I was talking with some folks at our gym uh, months ago and uh, one of the the ladies that that goes to our gym was part of a canoe team that had been part of a race from Molokai to Oahu. Uh, They would paddle from Molokai out into uh, open ocean water, 38 plus miles to Oahu, a team of six people in this canoe that would paddle out. And I said, how long does it take to do something like that, to paddle from from, uh, Molokai to Oahu, um, you know, six people in a boat? She said, the winning team did it in about four and a half hours. She said, our group took probably closer to 
six and a half hours or so. And I thought, man, that would be fun, right? Being out on the open water with, you know, five of your favorite people and just paddling around and uh, enjoying it and being out on the open ocean and seeing things. And, you know, there's probably some dolphins over there and stuff like that. And then I realized this was not like a pleasure cruise. This was a race that they were in. And these crazy folks were paddling for six and a half hours. That's exhausting, right? Absolutely exhausting. And so I automatically marked that off as far as fun things to do uh, with the family, right? And so, and then I was talking to another guy who said, oh, I actually swam that last year swam it, swam 38 miles from Molokai to uh, Oahu. He said, I did. And I said, how many people did you have swimming with you? And he said, I did it by myself. I had two guys in a boat that were with me to make sure that I I stayed safe and didn't die. Uh, He said, but I swam the whole thing by myself. I said, how long did that take? 19 hours. 19 hours in the water by yourself, just one stroke after another. That does not even sound remotely fun to me. And I said, what was the hardest part, aside from being in the water paddling for 19 hours by yourself? What was the hardest part? And he said, the hardest part was at nighttime when you couldn't see anything at all. Uh, He said, you couldn't see land in front of you, you couldn't see land behind you, you just had to keep moving. And he goes, and because it was dark, you couldn't really see if you were making forward progress or not. And he said, and then something would swim past you and you'd feel a current beside you and you'd be like, I hope that's not a shark. He said, you feel something up under, swim underneath you and you're like, I hope it doesn't want to take a bite of me. And he goes, just not knowing what was out there and knowing that you were in the water alone. And I thought to myself, given those two options, you know, paddling with a group of people in the boat or swimming at yourself, I don't want to do either of them. But if I had to pick one, I would probably pick the one being in a boat with other people uh, because that's going to allow me to get there, first of all, quicker. Secondly, uh, not doing it by myself. When we speak of the Christian life and the way that we are to live in this passage, it says, for the faith of the gospel, you can do it alone if you'd like to, but that's not God's plan. God wants you to be together with other people doing the work together. And as he looks, we look at this passage here, he says that the Christian life is about striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I highly recommend that you do, jot down a few thoughts this morning. First of all, the gospel is work. Now, when we talk about the gospel being work, we don't mean that we actually work to get the gospel or anything along those lines. The good news is, as far as the hard work of the gospel has been done, Jesus did that for us. There's nothing that you and I can bring to the table as far as the gospel is concerned because, as it's been said before, Jesus paid it all. Uh, Because... We come into this world not being part of the family of God. We come into this world not being a part of, uh, of again, being children of God. Now, the Bible says that we're born into this world as sinners, at odds with God. We're not uh, a part of God's family automatically. We're born into this world. We're born sinners, the Bible says, it's because we've sinned against God. We're automatically outside of his family, and that's all of us. We've done that. But the message of the gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. The good news is this that Jesus died for your sins. You see, our sins separated us from God, but Jesus died to pay for our sins to bring us close to God again. You see, we might try to come to God on our own with our good things that we can do. Maybe I'll try to be a good guy, or I'll try to go to church a lot, or maybe I'll do good things for other people, or I'll, I'll try to not be as bad, but none of those things get us closer to God. They only push him further and further away. 
because you and I are not good enough to make up for all the wrong that we've done in this life, there's a price that must be paid. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death because you and I have sinned against the holy God. We deserve to die, not only physically on this earth. When you die, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. Every single one of us in this room, every single person in this world will one day stand before God after this life is over. And we won't get the opportunity to plead a case. We won't be able to say, well, I did this, I did that, and the other. Is this good enough? Uh, and the answer will always be our works and what we've done are never good enough to earn God's forgiveness. So someone must pay the price for us. You can pay on your own. The payment for your sin would be separation from God forever in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. I deserve when I die to go to hell because I've broken God's law. I didn't break God's law like once or twice or I made a couple of bad decisions that I shouldn't have. I continually go against the rules and guidelines that God has set because I am a sinner by nature. That's what the Bible tells us. And my wife can verify I am a sinner by nature. All of us have broken God's law. All of us deserve to go to hell. All of us deserve God's punishment. But Jesus came and died in my place. He died in your place. That Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for the sins of mankind for all who would believe in him. If you would believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, if you would believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, if you would truly put your faith and trust in him to save you and ask for forgiveness, the Bible says he's willing to forgive you. And that's not a something thing I've got to do every day. The Bible says that we need to be born again. Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The only hope that you have for heaven, the only hope that I have for heaven is knowing for sure that we are saved, that we are born again. And just like I was born on June 12th, 1977, I'll save you the math, I'm only 43 years old. Uh, but just as I was born, June 12th, 1977, there must be a time in my life where I was born again. And Jesus said that to Nicodemus. He said, just as you were in your mother's womb one time, you also need to be born again. The first time you were born physically, the second time you must be born spiritually. That's why we sometimes refer to ourselves, those of us that are children of God, as born again Christians. Christian is kind of a vanilla term that gets kind of ascribed to anybody who uh, believes in a higher power, or even believes in God. Uh, the Bible idea of Christians is that all Christians are born again. If there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, let today be, be that day. You see, you can't trust in Jesus and also being a good person. Well, I believe that Jesus can save me from my sins, but I'm gonna do my part to make sure that I get over the finish line. That's not good enough. You have to have full faith in Jesus. Well, I'm gonna believe in Jesus, but I'm also gonna believe in my religious works. It doesn't work that way. You have to believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. That is the message of the gospel, that Jesus has done all the work. The only thing you need to do is have faith and repent of your sins, and if you do, you can be saved. I'm thankful that here in the last 30 days at Hui College, we've had four men that have accepted Christ as Savior, that have been saved, that have been born again. Two of them will be baptized today. I'm really excited about that. But all four of them recognize I can't get to heaven on my own. I've broken God's law. There's nothing that I can do in and of myself to get to heaven. I must put my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. If there's never been a time like that in your life, you need to do that today. But if you have done that, you say, Pastor, there's been a time for me where I've been saved, where I've been born again, good, because you've got a job now. Not only are you now adopted into the family of God, now you have a work that you're called to do. 
Now God is asking you to strive together for the faith of the gospel. We've got work to do. So put on your work boots and throw on some work gloves and let's get after it. Because the gospel is work for us because we have a message to share. In Philippians 1.27, there's two words there, striving together. The, the Greek word that's used there uh, is the word soon athaleo. And the, the first part of that, that word soon is actually spelled S-Y-N, where we get our word synchronized, together, doing the same thing at the same time. The last word, athaleo, is where we get our word athletics. And so the idea is you have two people that are working together on a team that are working vigorously and in a difficult fashion to go towards the same goal, pushing towards the same finish line. That's the idea of striving together. The idea is not that these people are showing up to church and sitting for an hour and hearing a message and then going home and going on about their merry way. The idea is that they're constantly fighting, constantly striving, constantly working for the faith of the gospel. You see, this requires intentional focus and labor. The gospel work doesn't go forward because we sit back and just enjoy the message. The gospel message goes forward because we intentionally seek to share it. We must take this message of what Jesus Christ has done for people, that Jesus Christ died in place of sinners and all who would have faith in him can be saved from eternal wrath and destruction. That's the nuts and bolts of the gospel. We gotta take this message to the world. And it doesn't happen by accident. One study that was done on the spread of the gospel said that in the world in which we live in today, only 50% of the world's population has heard a clear gospel message. 50%. Let me just say, Christians, that's shameful. Because these remaining 50% people who need to hear the gospel are not in some lost jungle in Africa somewhere waiting for someone to discover them. We don't have to get on a canoe and go down the Amazon River looking for tribes along the riverbanks to try to get them the gospel. These 50% of people who have never heard the gospel before work with you. They live on your street. They live in the building directly across the street from our church. So what do we do? We intentionally seek to get the message to them. If you got our super cool Christmas Eve invites, they're awesome. On the back, the gospel. You know why? Because frankly, we don't have room for everybody on our island to come to our Christmas Eve services. We don't expect that. We don't anticipate it. We're, we're open to whoever would be willing to come. But if you never come to our church, that's okay because we want you to have the gospel message. We want you to know that Jesus died for sinners. Every week of the world on the back table, uh, in the back, we have this book called Paid in Full. It's a really short book. Uh, I don't know how many pages are in it. 70 or so books. Uh, 65 uh, pages in this book. And it's my kind of book because they're small pages and it's big type. I love that. The only thing that make it better is if it had pictures. Uh, but it's a book. These are free to you if you'll take it and give it to somebody. This is just the gospel message. Very simple. Hey, take this and read this. Hey, I made you a plate of cookies. I want to give you this book at, at Christmas time. Merry Christmas. Hey, I wanted to give you this book in an invitation to our, Easter, or our Christmas Eve services. I'd love to have you be my guest that night. Intentionally getting the gospel to people. People aren't going to stumble across the gospel. Uh, my wife, uh, during the uh, 
lead up to the election was watching far too much Fox News in our house, far too much Fox News, it was awful. Um, and, and again, if you're like me, the more that you hear, the more angry you get, the more frustrated that you get, the more that you realize that, that you know, uh, everything's going the wrong direction because of politics, and you just get mad, and it's just a horrible thing. But we were sitting there, and she had the, my wife's the type of person too, sweetheart, I love you, you know that. She turns, <laughs> she turns the TV on, and turns it up and then walks out of the room. Wait, are you gonna sit down and watch this? No, she's not, she just wants the ambient background noise, right? But me, I'm the type of person, if there's something on the TV, I've gotta watch it because that's the whole purpose of it being on, right? And, and I don't care if it's, you know, Hannity, Sean Hannity show or it's Peppa Pig, I'm gonna sit there and watch it, you know, because <laughs> it's on, you gotta watch it. Her, she just turns it on and leaves the room. It's just like, what's going on here? She left the, the, uh, the TV on, and I hear, I'm, I'm doing something, I'm actually not paying attention to the TV at this point, and I hear somebody say, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross to pay for your sins, and anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ could be saved from eternal wrath and destruction. And I'm sitting there going, is this on the television? And I look over, and sure enough, it's Franklin Graham giving a crystal clear gospel presentation uh, on television. And I thought to myself, praise God for that. I hope somebody paid attention to that, because that was awesome but you know how difficult it would be to stumble across the gospel? And chances are the people who need to hear the gospel probably aren't sitting down watching Fox News. They probably watch CNN or something like that. I don't know. That was a joke. It was a joke. My, I, my, my message, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that people aren't sitting around watching commercials hoping to get the gospel. I was thankful that it was there, but the difficulty to stumble across a crystal clear gospel presentation, very, very difficult, very difficult. So what do we do? We intentionally take the gospel to people. That's why Jesus gave us the Great Commission, to go, win, baptize, teach. That's what we do. That's how we get the message out. If you get your Bible in Philippians, turn over to Philippians chapter four, verse number three. I love this. Philippians four, three, Paul says, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. I'm asking you, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clem and also my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. He says here, he says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Now, typically we don't think of yoke uh, today. Yoke would have been something that was used for two oxen in a field plowing. It was a big piece of wood with two uh, loops underneath it would go around the neck of the oxen to keep these folks going the same direction, to be plowing the same direction. It's interesting, Jesus said that we were to take his yoke upon us for his burden was easy and his yoke was light and Jesus is asking us to yoke up with him and to do the work together with him. And let me just tell you this, if you're plowing a field with Jesus, you're not pulling your own weight, he's pulling you. But Paul says, hey, I'm asking you true yoke fellow, those of you that are willing to plow these fields with me, I'm asking you church that's together doing the work of the gospel that is in the field, getting it done week after week. I'm asking you. And so these, he's not writing to people who aren't pulling their weight. He's writing to the people that are getting the work done. And he's, what he says late in this verse, also verse number three, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Hey, I want you to encourage those ladies that were with me that were getting it done. These weren't ladies who just showed up 10 minutes after service started, sang a couple of songs, tried to stay awake and then went home. No, these are women who came and were changed by the gospel and went out and changed the world with the gospel because they were willing to work. 
we live in a society today where we want to automate everything that we have. Uh, we want to automate emails that we send. We want to automate text messages. We want to automate somebody uh, doing our grocery shopping for us. You can do all those things automation if you want to. We live in a society where we can automate the lights in our home, where your bedroom lights automatically pop on at 8 o'clock at night on a very low setting, very dim, so that you can start to set the mood to get ready to go to bed. You can automate all that if you want to. Friend, you cannot automate, you cannot delegate the gospel. You just got to do it. Now, I grew up in a church who was believed what our church believes doctrinally about the Bible. Doctrinally solid, philosophically, or the way that they actually got the work done, totally different. We had the idea that this, we tithe so the pastor can have a salary, so the pastor can do the work of the gospel. And if the work of the gospel is not getting done, the pastor's not doing his job. If people aren't growing in their faith, the pastor's not doing his job. If people aren't being discipled, the pastor's not doing his job. And if new people aren't coming to the church, the pastor's just not doing his job. Friend, you cannot delegate the gospel to someone else. You have to take personal responsibility for it, and it's work. So we can't push that off on somebody else. We can't just give some money to other people and hope that they get the work done. No, we must personally take responsibility for the gospel. So the gospel is gonna be work for you and I. Focus, intensity, focus, labor. How long? Forever. Eternity is the actual finish line. For you and I, we're gonna push forward until the day that we see Jesus Christ face to face for the faith. That means every week of the world, you need to be about your faith. You need to be living it out. You need to be teaching somebody. You need to be training somebody. You need to be passing it on. You need to be passing it forward. You need to be living a life that reflects the gospel so that your life draws people to Christ, not repels people from Christ. Always, forever, well, that's a long time. Is there another option? There is. If you don't want to do the work of the gospel until you see Jesus, if you don't want to strive together for the faith of the gospel until you see Jesus, there's one other option, disobedience. You want to be a disobedient, rebellious child of God, you're more than welcome to do that. But just let me tell you, it's not going to be a fun path to walk. So we've got a job to do. Do it and do it well. And the good news is, is that the way that you live out the gospel in your life is different from the way that I live it out in mine. The way that you strive together and what you bring to the team is different than what I bring to the team because all of us are striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6, for I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. I have fought the good fight and I have finished my course. Hey, I did it. My time's up here on this earth, but I've been, been swinging for the fences this whole time. I've done what I was supposed to do. I've walked, walked. I've fought the good fight, he says. Does that sound like somebody who just kind of sit back and cruised for a minute? No, that sounds like a guy who is intentionally engaged in battle day after day after day. It's work, and we need to be faithful until the day we see Jesus. So the gospel's work, but here's the problem. Many Christians are very unconcerned with eternity. Many Christians, those who've accepted Christ as Savior, really don't think a lot about what happens after this life. I have to admit that this was me. Again, the type of church that I grew up in, the type of, of preaching that I heard as a kid was this. You got your ticket punched to heaven. That's a good thing. Hang out here and Jesus is gonna come back one day. Until then, we'll meet once a week. We'll sing some songs and every now and then we'll, uh, we'll get fired up and somebody will shout a hallelujah in the church. But just hang tight. Jesus is coming back. I never 
in the history of growing up in church, again, the first 18 years of my life, I never saw an adult saved, ever. Not once. I never saw somebody bring a family member, a coworker, a first-time guest to church, ever. Not one time ever as a kid. I never saw an adult get baptized until I was in my 20s. And the first time I saw a, a, an adult get baptized, I thought, did he miss it as a kid? Like, only kids get baptized, right? Because that's all I'd ever seen. Because I was in a place where the gospel had been constricted. It wasn't vibrant. It wasn't at work. People weren't being drawn to Christ and being saved and baptized and discipled and growing in their faith. And so I thought that was normal. Friend, that's not normal. And I have to admit, the first 24 years of my life, I, I knew that I was going to heaven because I'd been saved, but I didn't really care about anything else after that. Did I believe that people would probably die and go to hell? Yeah, for sure, but that, is that my fault? And unfortunately, when you create a generation of Christians and churches full of Christians that say, hey, people are going to hell, but is that really my fault? You have people who have absolved themselves of the responsibility of the gospel. Sometimes we, in philosophical conversations, usually with younger Christians, they'll say things like, well, what about the people who have never heard of Christ? Are they gonna die and go to hell? What about the people who have never heard a clear gospel presentation? Is God gonna hold them responsible for something that they did not know? That's an outstanding question. A couple of things. First of all, Romans chapter one says that God has revealed himself to all men so that they are without excuse. So God has revealed himself to, to all men so that everyone is responsible for either accepting or rejecting the gospel. Secondly, if ignorance, just not knowing the gospel, would give someone a free pass to heaven, if, just because somebody's never heard they're gonna automatically go to heaven just because they didn't know any better, then I've got a new evangelism strategy. Stop telling people because then everybody would not know and then everybody would automatically get a free pass to heaven. It would be called the Ignorance Evangelism Project, right? <laughs> if they just don't know and they automatically get a pass, just don't tell anybody. But if they're responsible for it, if people who have never heard the gospel will die and go to hell, we want to point the finger at God and say, why would God do something like that? I've got a better question for you. Why would Christians who know that there are people on their way to hell sit back on their hands and do nothing? It's a better question. So we, as Bible-believing Christians, don't believe that ignorance gives people a free pass. We believe that everyone's held responsible for the gospel. We believe, as a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, that everyone will stand before God one day and give an account of their life and what they did with the gospel. And if 50% of the world's population has never heard the gospel before, we seek to make a difference. And may God forgive Christians who just wanna sit around and be entertained in church while the majority of the world perishes into eternal wrath and torment. We just wanna be entertained. God forgive us. God forgive me when I was that Christian. But I realized that the gospel is my responsibility, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. If you're a born-again Christian, the gospel is your responsibility. 
and we cannot be derelict any longer in our duties that we have. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, he's given a parable of the soil, and he says, he that received the seed into stony places, the same heareth the word, and with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for in tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, and by it he's offended. So some people who hear the word, they love the word, but when difficulties and trials come, they bail because they didn't have root. He also that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Many Christians are unfruitful because this world is far too alluring and they just want the stuff that comes from the world. So, We've got a job to do. And many Christians are unconcerned with the job that we have. I got my ticket punched to heaven. I think I'm good. No, no, no. I want to bring as many people with me as I can. I want to ensure that everyone has the opportunity to be saved. And for us, that's the reason why we came to Honolulu and planted who we call a Baptist church in the heart of the city because we saw a city that was lacking for gospel preaching and we wanted to make a difference. That's why we're here. That's why we will continue to be here. We didn't get people together so we could have a group of people that would sing songs and, and, and sing Christmas carols and have a place to light candles on Christmas Eve. No, we came to change the world with the gospel. So we have to be concerned with eternity. Unfortunately, many Christians are unequipped to share the gospel. Think about it this way. If there's a young man or a young lady that came to me today and said, Pastor, I'm not sure if I die today that heaven is my home. Would I be able to grab you and say, hey, could you sit down with this person and show them from the Bible how they could know for sure that they're saved? Would you be equipped for that? If not, I want to help you get equipped for that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to shame you if you're not ready for that. I'm not trying to embarrass you or tell you that you're a terrible Christian. I want to equip you and give you the tools that you need to do that. So you're here at this church. We hold a, 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 a Saturday training seminar called Sharing Jesus where we help people to have the tools that they need to evangelize and share the gospel with people. And I'm not trying to give you five points. God loves everybody. Everybody sins and has a price that must be paid. Jesus paid the price. Would you like to accept the gift? I'm not trying to give you five points. I'm trying to help equip you to have gospel conversations. It's not about a gospel presentation. It's about a gospel conversation. Hey, what do you think happens when we die? What do you base that off of? How do people get to heaven? By being a good person? Who determines who's good? How do you know if you've been good enough? How do you know if you've been too bad to go to heaven? It's interesting that you say that because the Bible says this. And then we begin to have a conversation. Many Christians are ill-equipped to have conversations like that and they're terrified of them. Look, just share what you know. Just tell your story. The woman at the well, she didn't know a lot of gospel. She didn't know a lot of the Bible. She just said, hey, you gotta come see this guy who told me everything I've ever done. I think he's Jesus. I think he's the Christ. Again, we have a book on the back table, paid in full. Take this book. If you don't know how to share your faith, take this book and read it, highlight it. Draw circles around phrases or stories that you wanna use to, to make a, a conversation like that your own. There's a ton of YouTube videos you could watch. I'd be happy to give you all the resources that I have to help you to grow in your faith. Uh, beginning of next year, we're gonna have a Sharing Jesus class, whether it's in person or online, to help you to, to be able to share your faith with people. Here's the thing, you can't just not do it. Hey, take the, uh, the Christmas Eve invite cards we have, just give them to somebody. If you say, well, I'm, I'm nervous giving it to somebody, they might not accept it. Leave it somewhere. <laughs> Every time we go into a Starbucks, 
my wife goes over to the little community board that they have there and she takes one of the thumbtacks and she puts one of our invites on the, the board. I'm like, oh, you can't do, that's not what that's for. Like, you, you can't just do that. And she doesn't like stand in front of me while I do this. No, she's like grabs it, sticks it on there. There have been times, I'll confess her sin for you. There have been times where she's taken somebody else's card off there and used their thumbtack to put up an invite to our church. Can you believe that? That's like next level dirty, right? Man. But you know what she says? Hey, you, you vacuum people's houses for them. That's nice. Here's the gospel. <laughs> this is more important. And I love that because she looked around, didn't find anybody she could talk to, so she just left it. Hey, guess what? People can find good news anywhere. People have come to our church before because they found a, a gospel track at the ATM. People have come to church before because somebody left an invitation to our church when they picked up their pizza. First, somebody one time who, a coworker who worked at Domino's had been inviting them to church and they kept saying, no, no, no. And then somebody from our church came in and gave the person at the counter an invitation to our church and they go, okay, this is way too weird. Is this your church? And she said, it is. And she goes, that's weird because I never met this guy before in my life. He left an invitation to church. Hey, guess what? The gospel works if you work the gospel. If you're willing to put in the effort, you're willing to put in the labor, God's gonna bring forth good fruit from it. But we have to be equipped. We have to be about it. We gotta get the work done. But here's the good news. You don't have to do it by yourself because the gospel's teamwork. It's everybody working together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's not you doing it alone. You're not rolling solo in this. You've got a team of people that are behind you, that are helping you, that wanna see you succeed, that's going the same direction that you are that when you bring a first-time guest to who we call a Baptist church that you've been praying for that they'll be saved. You don't have to go find somebody and go, would you come talk to my coworker? I don't want them to sit down by themselves and nobody talk to them. We'll have to beat people off with a stick to get them off of your coworker, right? If you've ever, if you remember your first time here at who we call it, people are like lined up to talk to you. I love that. You know why? Because they're trying to help in the gospel. If you're our brother or sister in Christ, welcome to the family. We're glad that you're here. We want to help you integrate with your family. If you're not part of the family of Christ, if you're not part of the, the family of God, we want to help you get in. And we want to lead you to the best thing you'll ever find in your life, and his name is Jesus. Because it's teamwork. We're all pulling together in this. You see, the local church is God's plan for changing the world. I believe that God looks at the world that we live in and he's disgusted by it. I read portions of an article, I didn't read the whole article, so. But he's talking about it, there was a strip club in San Diego that was trying to use the First Amendment to keep open, saying that this was a viable expression of these people's First Amendment rights. Yet at the same time, churches in San Diego were shut down, but they were gonna allow the strip club to open. It's like, wait, hold up. How did we get so far off base? Have you ever read the Constitution before? Really? And you look at things like that and you go, things are so bad. God must be so disappointed with the world we live in. I believe that he is. But here's the thing. He's given us what we need to change the world. And you know what that is? It's the gospel and it's the local church. That's it. And it's been discouraging for me to see 
Over the last several years, many churches jump on the bandwagon of racial equality and fixing race relations, and they're having conferences on race and studying all these people throughout history that were racist and terrible people, and they're uh, demonizing them, all at the same time lifting up other people who uh, were instrumental in the civil rights. Hey, look, I'm all for racial reconciliation. I believe that any Bible-believing Christian that's a racist needs to repent and get right with God. There's no place for racism at all in the heart of any Christian whatsoever. Period of story. But the answer to racism in the world that we live in today is not having a conference on racism. It's the gospel. Change your heart. Repent of your sin. Make Jesus Christ Lord, and he'll erase all of that. So let's not focus on racism. Let's focus on the gospel. Is human trafficking a terrible thing in the world we live in today? Absolutely. It's awful. It's terrible. But we're not going to be the church that's against human trafficking because you know what? The answer to human trafficking is the gospel. When people get saved, there will be no demand for purchasing human beings. When people get saved, they'll repent of their ways and follow after Christ. We're not going to chase the symptom. We're going to chase the problem, and the problem is sin. We were first getting started here at Huikala. We had heard about a ministry uh, of a local church here in town that, that ministered to prostitutes in Waikiki. And I, I found that interesting because um, for those of you that don't know, prostitution's an issue in Honolulu. Uh, we've seen prostitutes stand on the corner of, of Waimano and Pekoi Street, right up here at the, at the corner before. Uh, and so it's a problem, and we wanted to find out how we could use the gospel to be a help to that. And we heard there was a, a church that had a ministry that reached out to, to these folks. And so uh, Angela and I went, and it was a Sunday night after church. We went and sat down in the room and went through the training program with these folks. And so they're talking about ways that they strike up conversations with the ladies and how some of the ladies are the same ones that they see every week and they talk to and stuff like this. And they said, if any of these ladies want to leave the sex industry, we have a home that they can go to and uh, we can get them the help that they need. And they got these guys that'll do security for them and escort them over there and get them set up and all, everything that they need. They said, you know, over the years, we've only had a couple ladies who've decided to do that. And so, but it's available if they want to do that. That's good. That's helpful to know. We also take uh, toothpaste and toothbrushes and we give them deodorant and we give them uh, you know, soap and shampoo and personal care items. We got little care packages that we give to them uh, and stuff like that. And so we just try to befriend them and, and come alongside them and encourage them and, and help them and stuff like that. And so, you know, that's kind of how we do things. That's kind of our regular MO. All right, sorry. So at what point do we engage them with the gospel? At what point do we try to get them plugged into a local church that can love on these ladies and help them and encourage them and stuff like that? And they said, oh, no, no, that's, that's not something that we do. Oh, so we're just trying to like give them personal care items. Right. And what point of this is a church ministry? I'm not really sure. And I said, well, if folks from our church that wanted to come and be involved in this ministry, would we be allowed to bring gospel tracts uh, and books and Bibles to give to these ladies? And they said, that would not be allowed. <laughs> Hold up, what? And then I realized at that point, this is not a gospel ministry. This is not a ministry of the church that Jesus started. This is something that we're doing to put a Band-Aid on a seeping, pussy nasty, disgusting, infected wound. And we're gonna put a Band-Aid over it that makes us feel better like we're actually doing something by handing out toothpaste. What? How about we get to the root of the issue, which is sin? How about we give them real medicine, which is the gospel? 
How about we show them the balm of Gilead for what ails them? Oh, you're not allowed to do that. Great. And we, and we grabbed our stuff and left. I don't want any part of that. I'm not trying to make friends with prostitutes, for heaven's sakes. I'm trying to get people the gospel. If you tell me I can't get the gospel to people, I don't want no part of it. But the problem is many Christians have been seduced into thinking that doing good things is the gospel work. Friends, if you have good works without the gospel, it's not gospel work. So what changes people's lives? The local church. These girls that walk the streets at night and the men that pimp them out, what will change them? The gospel will change them and a loving family that shows them that it's okay to not be okay, but we're gonna help you get okay. That's what changes the world. I'm not handing up cans of deodorant for heaven's sakes, really. And Jesus gave the great commission, go, win, baptize, teach. He gave that to the local church. That's us. That's the work that we do that changes the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 27, Paul uh, draws an illusion between the local church and the body of Christ, and he begins to refer to us as the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now ye, the body of Christ, are members in particular. When Jesus stood on that hillside, in Acts chapter one, and he gave the great commission one last time in Acts chapter one, verse number eight. The Bible says he ascended into heaven at that point. Everybody kind of stood around looking up at the skies and the angel says, guys, what are you doing? Just quit looking up and get to work. Do what he told you to do. At that point, then Christ's body physically was gone. But the Bible says the local church, this is the body of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ this week will not walk down Waimanu Street, but the body of Christ will walk up and down this street this week. Jesus Christ won't pull up a chair in your workplace tomorrow, but you are the body of Christ. And so you, in place of Jesus Christ, will pull up a chair in your workplace this week. Jesus Christ won't sit down at your kitchen table this week and have a meal with your kids, but you are the body of Christ and you, in place of Jesus Christ, can have a meal with your children to show them what Jesus really looks like. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. You see, we get to make a change in the world that we live in today because we are the body of Christ. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. I was talking with a friend uh, last week, and I love it when people surprise me with their answers. It takes a lot to surprise me because I've heard a lot of answers over the years. But I said, when I say ambassador for Christ, what does that mean for you? And he says, well, I think of ambassador, I think of one who reaches out on behalf of their government to a foreign government or foreign agency for the purpose of befriending them and drawing them and endearing them towards the home country. Good. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. He said, that's different than an emissary though. What do you mean by that? I already know the answer, but I wanna hear what you have to say. I don't know what he's gonna say. He said, an emissary just has a message to deliver. I don't care what people think about it. Here's the message. You don't like it? I don't care. I did my job. I checked off the list. I'm done. He says, we're not emissaries for Christ. And the fact that we leave a message and, and like it or lump it, he said, we're ambassadors for Christ and the fact that we have to draw people to Christ by the way that we live. And he goes, I think that takes more of a relationship. That takes a little bit more uh, of, of time. It takes a little bit of investment in people's lives. And he says, I think being an ambassador for Christ is what makes the difference. Oh man, that was such a wise answer. 
We're not just a message like, here's a message. If you don't like it, too bad. Take it up with God. No, I want to draw you to Christ by being his ambassador. And here's what Paul says in that same passage when he says we're ambassadors for Christ, that we are in Christ's stead. You know what that means? That Jesus Christ should be here, but God left you instead. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel really inferior. (laughs) That Jesus should be sitting here having this conversation, but God left me in Christ's stead. So I am here as a representative of Jesus Christ. I am here as part of the body of Christ. Jesus Christ would be here, but he can't, so he left me instead. That's why I'm here. That makes life take on a totally different turn. Because when you go to work tomorrow and you punch the clock or you you, you roll into your office, realize that Jesus Christ can't be there in bodily form today, so he left you instead. That takes a whole level of responsibility up a notch. But that's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. When I was growing up in church, again, we, we paid a pastor to get the work of the gospel done. That's not the job of the pastor. It's the job of the church to fulfill the Great Commission. You go, yeah, that's right, the church. No, before you get all excited, realize you're the church. <laughs> that if the gospel message isn't getting out in our community, it's your fault. I tried to say that without stepping on your toes. I hope it didn't hurt you bad. If we look in, around and we see that our community is going to hell, literally, we sit back and go, hmm, terrible around here, isn't it? Wake up, it's your fault. It's my fault. And we have too many Christians who want to absolve their responsibility to some government agency. Oh, when they took prayer out of schools, that's when when everything really started to decline in our nation. Okay, that was 50 years ago. What have you done in the last 50 days to turn it around? Oh, it's just liberal politicians. Stop blaming it on the government. Christians just don't care about eternity. That's the problem. So let's grow up. Let's put our big boy pants on, our big girl pants on, and get the work done. Because if we don't like what we see in our community, it's our fault because we have what it takes to change it all. It's the gospel. And the local church is what changes the world. And when it comes to the church, there's no unimportant team members. None. Everybody has a job to do. Everybody has a part to fulfill. Everybody has something to do. Everybody. (laughs) Paul and, and... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 20 says, but now there are many members yet one body and the eye can't say to the hand, I don't have any need of you or the head to the feet, I don't have need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body that we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. Hey, look, nobody this morning woke up and hoped that your kidneys were working unless you've been dealing with kidney failure. Nobody wondered this morning, can I stand on my own two feet unless you've been having problems standing up? There's no part of the body that's unimportant because when you're not there, everybody suffers as a result of it. Sometimes when I'm going through discipleship with folks, we begin to talk about the local church and the different roles and responsibilities and spiritual gifts and the body of Christ and things like that. We talk about this. Christ is the head of the church. And when you ever make a flow chart of the church, Jesus Christ better always be at the top 100% of the time. And I said, who's the next most important person in the church? 90% of the time, without fail, people say what? 
the pastor, right? <laughs> Wrong answer. What? Pastor's not the most important person in the church. Who's Jesus Christ most important? Who's the next most important? Uh, the worship pastor. <laughs> That's not even a biblical position. Next. Oh, I know. Most important. The prayer warriors of the church. <laughs> not true. Uh, people who give the most money. <laughs> not true. Who is it? There isn't anybody that's most important. Because the Bible says that there's no unimportant members of the body. And that even those that appear to be more feeble are actually really super important. Like, I don't know what my pancreas does, honestly, but if it started giving me problems today, I would know really quickly what it does and how it hurts. Really quickly. My wife had her gallbladder removed a long time ago, not, not recently. But if you want to send meals to our house, that's okay. Uh, long time ago, had her gallbladder removed, and you know, she realized, she didn't know what her gallbladder did, but she realized at that moment, it hurts really, really badly, and it needs to go. So again, it's those things that, that we realize that every part of the body is important, and every team member is valuable when it comes to striving together. And again, if we're pulling together as a team, we need to ensure the health of the team and the strength of the community. We gotta make sure that everybody's fire, firing on all eight cylinders, everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, everybody's healthy, everybody's in their place, because if not, the whole body suffers. Several years ago, a friend and I decided to run the Santa Barbara Marathon. And so 26.2 miles, I had an 18-week training plan in place. Uh, at the beginning of my training plan, I got sick for two weeks and I couldn't run at all. And then the two weeks after that, I was really busy at work and I didn't get a chance to run. Two weeks after that, I was just lazy and tired and didn't feel like running. And so then I pick up my training plan at about week 10, where you should have built up some mileage. Only got about eight weeks before the, the, the marathon starts. And so you're supposed to have some pretty good mileage under your belt. I didn't have it. And so I went out and ran like I did, you know? And if you ever know, you, you can't just go out and run a lot for a long period of time and be healthy. It just doesn't work that way. You gotta build up to it. But I didn't build up to it. And I, I had on my right knee my IT band, which runs from the, the top of your, your thigh down past your, your knee on the outside, began to get inflamed and swell and rub as I ran. It hurt, oh man, it hurt. I would biofreeze it, I'd take Tylenol and ibuprofen and try to run through it. It still hurt. So I started running in a way that I put less weight on my right foot and more weight on my left foot when I ran. I could, I, it worked out really well. Again, if I was, had Tylenol and biofreeze on, I could run farther. And what I realized is I started having pain in my left hip then, and then my left hip pain went to my lower back and I started having lower back spasms. And what was the problem? The problem was my IT band, which is a, looks like a little rubber band on the side of your, your leg started hurting, but it caused pain throughout my entire body. Well, how do you fix that? We gotta fix the IT band. How do you do that? Rest. I don't wanna rest. Good, then you'll be in pain because it's all connected. When it comes to the body of Christ, it's all connected. If you're not doing your part or you're doing your part poorly, everybody else pays the price for it. If you say, well, I don't like doing what I do, I wanna do what somebody else does. You can't do that because you've got your role that you gotta fulfill and if you're not doing it, everybody suffers as a result of it. Now think about it this way. You are the left hand, okay? That's who you are, that's your job. And you decide, you wanna sleep in today? Nobody really needs you, nobody's counting on you. And so the left hand of the body doesn't show up today. Can a body, a real physical body, can a real body exist without a left hand, yes or no? Yeah, it can. Especially if you're right-handed, it makes life a lot easier, right? But here's the thing. 
Left hand's important because I use it to button my shirt. I use it to tie my shoes. I use it sometimes to open a door. Like if I don't have my left hand, I'm at a disadvantage. And I have to do, the right hand has to work now twice as hard. And it puts an unnecessary strain on the body because now my left hand's missing. If you're not in your place, everybody in the body pays the price for it because we gotta pick up your slack. Now imagine this, the right hand decides, yeah, I'm gonna take a couple of weeks off too. And now the body has no hands whatsoever. Can you live without hands? You can, but life becomes increasingly difficult now. And now my right kneecap wants to take the day off too. Guess what? Now we're a body that's hobbling around trying to do stuff with nubs. Can we do it? We can. We're just gonna suffer because you can't pull your weight. <gasps> Sorry. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. When you're not in your place doing your part, everybody pays the price for it. Because nobody is unimportant. Look, if you're not in your place, there's somebody who could have used an encouraging word from you that didn't get it today because you weren't there. There's maybe somebody who needed to be encouraged, but they didn't get that encouragement because you weren't there. Maybe one of the people that you work with, or somebody you've been witnessing to, came to church and you weren't there. Maybe somebody that somebody else has been praying for for years was there and you weren't there to greet them or say hello to them. You weren't there because you decided to take some time off for you. No, you're part of the body of Christ. All of us have to do our part. All of us have to pull our weight. And know this, I hesitate to say this, but I'm gonna say it in a loving, caring way. For a body, the only thing the body really needs is the head. You get rid of the head, you got, you got no body left, obviously. But vital organs and a head is all you need, but you got a head, you're done. If Christ is the head, every single one of us are expendable. Everyone. And understand this. God wants you to be a part of his church, wants you to be a thriving part of the body, but God doesn't need you. You need him. And frankly, if you're dead weight on the body of Christ, the body of Christ might be better off without you. But you need the body. And so I'm not trying to discourage you like, well, fine, I'll go somewhere where I'm needed. No, you're needed here. And if you aren't in your place, not only do other people suffer, not only does the body have to carry the weight without you, but you miss out on the benefit. You miss out on the joy of being a part of the body of Christ. You missed it. So don't miss it. Be in your place, be your part, be healthy. The Bible's chock full. We don't have time to go through them all today, but verses that talk about one another, making sure that everybody's okay. Love one another, serve one another, prefer one another, honor one another, forgive one another, forbear one another. A lot of one another verses there because we're to look out for each other and take care of everybody. Are you not, you're not okay? Let me help you be okay. Are you struggling? I wanna help you with that. You got a burden? I wanna carry it. Bear one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. Those that are spiritual should restore those that have, are struggling with sin. This is team effort. You're not on your own. You're not rolling solo. And here's the thing. If you are not a part of the body of Christ, it's because you've chosen not to be a part of the body of Christ. If you want to go solo, you've chosen to go solo. Because we want you, God wants you, and God has a plan for you. He's got a job for you. And when you don't do your job, everybody pays the price for it. Here's the thing about the cause of Christ, the body of Christ, the gospel work. The cause of Christ is woefully understaffed. Let me just tell you that. It's
It's not a matter of like, hey, we're trying to find people that need Jesus and we can't just seem to find anybody. Here's what Jesus said. In all of, all of the New Testament, in all of the Gospels, Jesus only made one prayer request and one prayer request only. And he didn't say, you know, pray that the gospel will go forward. You pray that the, the word will be received well. Pray that, uh, you know, anything else. Here's what he said. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest because the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers, few. 2,000 years ago. With the world population closing in on seven and a half billion people, do you think we've got more laborers than enough to do the work? No, I think now more than ever we can say the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Demographics in our city would tell us that less than 10% of Honolulu consider themselves born-again Christians. That means one in, or nine in every 10 people that you meet tomorrow needs Jesus. I mean, honestly, for us, when it comes to doing the gospel work, it should be like shooting fish in a barrel for us. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs to hear. We can't find anybody in the world that doesn't need Jesus. If you've already got Jesus, help me in the work, man. But the fact of the matter is, is that we need workers. We need people that are willing to pull their weight. We need people that are willing to strive together for the faith of the gospel. The pastor cannot nor should carry the weight on his own, and I don't. I'm thankful that we're in a church where a majority of the people are pulling their weight, but I want to encourage you, man, dig in deeper. What could happen if we pulled harder together? What could happen if we were more engaged in the gospel work? But see, the gospel work is eternal work. What we do with our life has the opportunity to change eternity. I was in the Navy from 1995 to 2001, six years I served in the Navy. I did IT work when I was in the Navy, rolled out a lot of computers and servers and software and updates and patches and virus scan software and virus scan patches and stuff like that. Did you know of all the systems that I rolled out in that six years, 100% of them have been replaced, 100%. Not anything left that I did there, not one single solitary thing. I served on staff as an IT director for 10 years at Lancaster Baptist Church. Did you know the majority of the equipment that I rolled out there and the majority of the projects that I was a part of have all been replaced? short while later. The work that you do here on this earth has a very finite timeline. And know this, when you leave, there's somebody else that's gonna come into your place. That every person who's ever had any level of responsibility, when you pass the baton, you pass it to somebody else and they went on without you. Because the work that we do here on this earth is very finite. And sometimes the work that I was doing, changing passwords and creating user accounts and stuff like that, I could have trained a monkey to do those things. Those aren't things that last. It all has an expiration date. But the work that we do for the cause of Christ, for the faith of the gospel, has eternal, lasting impacts. That one day we're gonna get to heaven and we're gonna be able to see what we did with our lives. Or we'll be able to see what we did not do with our lives. Because what we have changes eternity. How we steward the gospel can change where somebody spends eternity. I'm thankful that over the last 30 days we've had four men accept Christ as Savior here at Holy College Baptist Church. That's huge, huge, huge. The gospel changed where someone will spend eternity. 
And I'm thankful that people continue to grow in their faith even after they've accepted Christ as Savior, that they want to grow, they want to be discipled, they want to be in their Bible reading. But how we handle the gospel message literally is a matter of life and death. It's that big of a deal. And so we can't just be indifferent to it. We gotta embrace it. We gotta dig in deep. Because what I do with the gospel matters. And look, it doesn't matter what you do for a vocation from from nine to five every day. The question is, what are you doing with the gospel? That's what matters. That's what counts. I don't care if you make widgets as long as you're a Jesus-loving, gospel-spreading widget maker. Doesn't matter. I don't care if you're the president or CEO of a corporation, as long as you're a president and CEO that loves Jesus and loves the gospel. It doesn't matter. Because here's the great thing about the, what the Bible says. You're not better because you're a person of authority or you have money or anything like that. You're no different than the person who has no job. Because we're all members of the body of Christ and we're all equally important and we all bring something to the table and we all are about the same work and we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. Angela and I uh, took the boys a couple of years ago out to Hawaii Kai and we got you know, one of those uh, double hulled canoes and they got the paddles and stuff like that. If you've ever had kids before, you know you have that one kid who wants to kind of do their own thing. And while they're saying like, pull, pull, and you get your one that's doing the circles with the paddles on their own thing, it doesn't work that way. Pulling together is what works. And we're talking about the gospel, we're striving together for the faith of the gospel because what we're doing matters, it counts. Next, how we steward the gospel will affect our rewards in eternity. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That verse either brings great excitement to you, or it brings fear to your heart. One of the two. Let me just tell you, if you built your life upon Jesus, and you're living about the gospel, that verse should bring great joy. I can't wait to one day stand before God and say, I didn't do perfect, <laughs> I did my best, and I was all about the gospel. There's a time in my life where I would have had to stand before God with my hands in my pockets and I had a good time in life and I did everything that I wanted to do, but I didn't bring anything with me. I don't have anything to show for it. So I don't want you to stand before God embarrassed I want you to stand before God one day with joy and excitement and gratitude. And so how you steward the gospel determines how you'll stand before God in eternity. Four final questions and we're done. First of all, is the gospel a priority in my life? Does it really matter? Is it kind of an afterthought? And again, our priorities aren't what we say they are, they're what we live out. And if the gospel's a priority in your life, then you need to be able to point to me in the last seven to 14 days of something you did with the gospel or the way that you lived your life that drew attention to the gospel or somebody that you're working on to get towards a gospel conversation. Is it a priority in your life? And if it's not, why? Jesus just wants one thing from you to be his ambassador. And for us as a church, God never called us to 
buy a building or have a porch with big, huge white columns and a big white steeple in the front or the bell that rings on the hour. I can't even get my kids to take out the trash unless let's ring the bell every hour, right? That's not our job. One job, the gospel. That's it, one message, the gospel. Is there a priority in your life? If not, why? Do you really believe that people are gonna die one day and go to hell? That doesn't bother you? If not, why? Make the gospel a priority. Secondly, what can I do this week for the faith? This week. I'm not talking about one day, one of these days I'm gonna turn my life around and serve the Lord. What can you do this week? Some of you might start by repenting of your sin because know this, your sin affects the whole body. Whole body. The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What that means is a little bit of sin causes great destruction through the whole body. Maybe you can do something for the faith, for your church family today. One of the ways you can help strive together is to lay down your sin. Because know this, you can't pick up a rope and pull. You can't grab a paddle and begin to paddle if you're holding on to your sin. Can't. Maybe some of you need to commit to church membership. I'm thankful for some folks who are coming today to unite with their church via church membership. Maybe you need to be baptized. We've got four folks that are being baptized today. Maybe you need to begin tithing. Maybe you've been just appreciating the benefits of the church. We've never really been engaged in the church. Maybe you're thankful to sit in a room that has air conditioning, but you don't actually give anything towards that. And again, we don't give because we need a room with air conditioning. We give because God's required it of us. That's obedience. Maybe you need to just commit to daily Bible reading. Maybe you need to get that coworker or friend or family member that needs to know Jesus. I don't know. All I know is that there's something this week in the next seven days that you can do for the faith. Next, am I striving together or am I relaxing alone? Are you engaged with the church family? Are you engaged in this work of the ministry? Are you engaged in gospel work? Are you just kind of doing your own thing at your own pace, in your own way, whenever you feel like it? Or are you saying, no, I'm striving together. I'm fully, fully in, 100%. So many times Christians will take almost like it's a buffet at the Golden Corral. Oh, Golden Corral. Mm. It's always a good idea at the time. It's never a good idea an hour afterwards, is it? We treat the Christian life like a Golden Corral, like I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of that. I'll take a little bit of community. I don't want a whole lot. I don't want to fill up on community. That would be bad. I'll take the gospel maybe a couple times a year. I'll I'll take a little bit of fellowship when it's convenient for me and I kind of leave the rest of it. No, no, no. Talking about loading your plate up until there's nothing left. Taking all of it. Are you striving together? Next. This is the most important one. What does God require of me? What's my part? Here's the beautiful part about striving together for the faith of the gospel. Your responsibility is different than my responsibility. You got responsibilities in the gospel that I don't have. And that's the beautiful part because I'll do my part, you do your part. Before we close out today's service, we'll get to hear from uh, Jay and Tiffany Kopiap. Guys, would you stand up, if you would, over there? Uh, Jay and Tiffany are our missionaries to Papua New Guinea, uh, and they serve the, the Lord over there. I can't go to the villages in Papua New Guinea next week, but Jay can. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my part here so that Jay can do his part there. I'm gonna do my part here so that Tiffany can do her part there. You guys can sit down. Thank you guys so much. But we're striving together with them. You know what they're doing? 
They're not going over there trying to get clean drinking water for everybody. They're not there to teach the kids their ABCs and stuff like that. You know what they're doing? They're doing the gospel work. Tiffany went over there as a, as a single missionary lady, as a nurse, and she didn't go over there to just give vaccinations and to, to take people's temperatures. She went over there with the gospel. Hey, if taking your temperature and giving you your vaccinations will help me give you the gospel, I'll give you shots all day long as long as you're sitting in this chair listening about Jesus. I wanna get in on that. I want you to get in on that. That's why there are missionaries and the money we give towards missions goes to help them to get the work done in Papua New Guinea because I can't do that there, but I'm doing my part here. I'm not, you do your part there and I'm gonna sit back and, and, and chill here. No, no, I'm striving here, you're striving there and we're striving together, doing our part together. What's your part? You might say, well, I don't have a part. Not true. Everybody has a part. What's your part? I prayed since the beginning of who we call that God would raise up men from our church that would go from here to other places on our island and start other Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. It's still a prayer of mine every single day. I prayed that God would call somebody to leave who we call it to go to another place in the world with the gospel as a missionary, whether it be male or female, to go somewhere, serve alongside a local church with the gospel. I pray every single day that we would be missionary with the gospel to our own community. <laughs> and sometimes people say things like, I think I'd like to be a missionary to China. That would be fun. Tell me more about that. God never calls you to do something full-time that you're not doing part-time. I met a guy one time who uh, was studying theology and he was studying online at Fuller Theological Seminary and he told me how I wanted to be a pastor one day and all this other stuff and he was working on his, wanted to get his doctorate and uh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, where do you go to church? He goes, I don't go to church. Well, what was the last church you were a part of? I went to church as a kid. Does that count? Bro, you're studying to be a pastor and you've never been a part of a church as an adult before? I don't really see the value in it. <laughs> what kind of pastor are you gonna be? What on earth? And so here's a guy who thought his place was information. No, no, no. Boots on the ground, getting the work done. What's your part? Be faithful to your part. And here's the thing. If you do your part, I do my part, and we do it together, the gospel goes forward. And the beautiful thing about the work that we do, it doesn't matter who's in office, at whatever office in the land, it doesn't matter what the restrictions are that the government places on us or anything like that, the, the word of God goes forward, the body of Christ goes forward, and nobody can stop it. And we get to be a part of God's work. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure if you died today, heaven's your home. Please don't leave here today without knowing for sure that Jesus is your savior. We're not trying to get you to join our church. We're not trying to baptize you. We're not trying to, to, to do anything from you or get anything from you. I want you to know for sure that Jesus Christ is your savior and that heaven is your home when you die. But for those of us that are saved, let's get about that gospel work because you can't do it alone. We're supposed to do it together. And if you decide you want to do it together with us, which I highly recommend that you do, make sure that you're doing your part so everybody else doesn't have to pick up the slack for you and pull your own weight as we strive together for the faith of the gospel. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart.